0: What does healing mean to you?
1: If we're going to take steps forward in this valley to begin to ascent this mountain, it has to be together.
0: Voices, the mental health podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers.
2: We are faith based, peer led, story driven, and stigma breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And we are Revealing Voices.
0: This podcast was originally intended to be an unedited in-studio conversation with Brandon Andrus about his new book, Beauty in the Wreckage. However, we got carried away and went over our standard 45-minute format. So slight edits have been made, but the intimate, flowing dialogue remains. After the book's October 9th Amazon release, it initially sold out. Inventory is now replenished. As of this podcast release, the book is the number one new Amazon release in the inspiration category. Brandon already has 18 five-star reviews in the first two weeks. Brandon is a dear friend that lives here in Columbus, Indiana, near Tony and me, Uh, and Brandon has been a source of many blessings in my life. Now, enjoy our episode with author Brandon Andrews. Tony Roberts, we are in Studio E. Studio E. With Brandon Andrus. Drinking
2: a little kombucha.
0: We're drinking kombucha? Uh-huh. Yeah. This is from my house, not from Brandon's. No? I'm looking forward to trying Brandon's. He
2: would have mulled cider. Mulled <laughs> cider. <laughs> <laughs> <For Brandon's>.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> I think Brandon could walk here in less than 10 minutes.
2: That's great.
0: It's it's high-density podcasting. Uh <laughs> Brand's a podcaster. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, Outside so, so, the Walls.
1: So many podcasts in such a short, you know, small space.
0: <laughs> it's, it's lovely.
1: I mean, it's just popping up everywhere in Columbus. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: right. right. Are there any more that you know of?
1: Nope.
0: Sarah this more is well, on yes, yeah.
1: podcast. S- yeah. Sarah's on Outside the Walls. She joined us probably like four or five months ago. Yeah. So she's from Columbus and a podcaster now. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yes. Jeremy Chapman, he uh, was was living here. He had a podcast about uh, women's Turkish soccer.
1: That's very broad, very broad topic. People think I'm eccentric. Like he takes it way beyond. He could have narrowed that down a little bit yeah. more, you know.
0: Yeah. So, Brandon, I'm I'm really glad you're here tonight.
1: Yes. Yeah, Welcome. it's great to be here.
0: I, I spent this Sunday afternoon rocking on my front porch. Finishing up Brandon's soon-to-be-released book.
2: I see his uh, <laughs> preview copy. Of
1: I,
0: right? Yes, I see that. My, mine it's was sharp. an ebook, "Beauty in yeah. Beauty the Wreckage," mm-hmm. Bra- Brandon's third book. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say, reading all of Brandon's other works, his two previous ones, as well as what appears in the local newspaper. Uh, on On Saturday mornings, I, I really feel like this book is a culmination of of your heart, and, and you know, really distilling what what love really means for you and what shalom means. Yeah. Um, before we dive into the book, though, I, I want to just give a little bit of a history of how I know Brandon. I've known Brandon for about probably eight years, and. I actually shared
1: uh, a cell at the Bartholomew County Jail together. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I was uh, researching my book uh, for the flood, and the Living Room Church had helped out with uh, a team of, I think, college students. And I, I had read about it in the newspaper, and it was just kind of a curious thing. I never heard of the Living Room, and uh, maybe a year later, I'm getting ready to publish my book, and uh, a friend, uh, Chris, I can't think of Chris's last name, he was at CCC, I can't remember his
1: name. He's he, probably not listening. He, he was in, <laughs> he,
0: he was part of the Columbus area, youth ministry alliance. I've, got, I've got a read. lot of friends. It's, uh, it's, just just it's, a it's quite a few it's, of my friends. It's Chris, Chris, Williams. Chris, Chris Williams. Chris Williams. C. Wills. Right. Yeah. C. Wills. He's like, you need to talk to Brand Andrus. He's trying to publish a book. And I'm like, well, I'll talk to Brandon. So we met over coffee about a week later. And, and during that conversation, Brandon invited me to his men's confession group. And I was like, that sounds amazing. It sounds crazy.
1: <laughs> I was so
0: excited. I'm like, wow, a men's confession group? I want to I wanna be a part of that. So I was actually part of a small group. With Brandon before I was in a worship setting, um, and soon thereafter I became a member of the living room, and uh, be- was a weekly uh, member of the confession group for years. Yeah, and that that was really yeah. Amazing. We'll share
1: some of those stories soon.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, I I do want to uh, touch <laughs> a little bit more on the confession group. Uh, there was a uh, a scripture that was the basis of the group, and it's james 5 16. Uh, reading that here in the niv it says therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective and so i want to come back to that a bit during our podcast here (laughs) but the idea of confession as a form of healing yeah uh if you would like to touch on that right now.
1: Yeah, actually I will because you know it's perfect segue into everything that we're gonna talk about tonight. So what's and I just made this connection when you were reading that is there's a passage in a couple of the gospels, and I think one of them's in Luke. It may be like chapter five or six, where Jesus is talking to the centurion mm. and he comes to Jesus and he says, My child or servant is ill. Um, will you come? And heal him, <clears throat> and um, it's fascinating because in the English, whenever you read it, here's the here's the back and forth. Um, hey, Jesus, can you come heal my son? Sure, I can come heal your son. I believe that I can heal your son. I believe that you can heal my son. And Jesus says, "I've never seen faith greater in all of you know Israel." Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Okay, well, that was an interesting dialogue, and there's really no depth to it." But whenever you start digging into it, the Greek tells a much bigger story, which connects to the James 517 passage, because the actual dialogue is this. He comes up to Jesus and he says, can you, in Greek, therapeio, which means therapy or physically heal my son. And Jesus responds back and says, sure, I can therapeio your son, which he just answers him with the same, you know, mm-hmm. word. And then the response back from the centurion, it actually changes words, but we don't pick this up in the English. He says, I believe that you can ea omahi, my son. Which means, I don't think that you can just heal him physically. I think that you can heal him heart, mind, body, and soul. It's mm-hmm. like a full salvation. I think that you can do so much more than physically heal him. And Jesus is like, man, I've never seen so much faith in all of Israel. And so then that opens up this depth of the whole passage to like, wow, that is amazing faith, because he, he, he doesn't just see Jesus as some, you know, miracle worker, he sees him as someone who can save heart, mind, body, and soul, which really kind of connects to what you read, because the James passage says, um, confess your sins one to another, and you will be, guess what the word is? Ia omahi. Mm. it's not the therapeutic. So, I mean, a lot of times people may take that as saying, well, you know, confess your sins. And maybe that's, what's causing your physical maladies or your physical illness. And it's like, well, guess what? That word right there is so much deeper because there's something that's happening during confession. That's, that's from the depths, opening up darkness that you've held and, and hid from people. Yes. And all you're doing it is exposing it to the light. And when that light shines into those dark places, there's healing that happens that goes beyond anything that we could ever do ourselves. Mm -hmm. So for me, that passage just kind of breaks through. And so what we saw, I'll tell a funny story. Um, The first time that we showed up to Confession Group, and this was pre-Eric, I didn't tell the guys what they were showing up to. I said, hey, very important meeting, showing up 9 p.m. on Wednesday night, just be there. And you know, I, I came with like, James 517. I had my Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I I had everything (laughs) ready, you know, everything lined up. And so I sat there for probably 15 minutes and made this appeal, this case of why us gathering together and confessing our sins to one another is so important and then, and, 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 keep in mind that the whole time I'm doing it, like all the guys are like looking at the floor. You can imagine they're just like, what in the world? I mean, these yeah. are my close friends too. Right. Um, they were my close friends. Um, <laughs> and, and until, um, I began confessing every sin that I had ever committed I just so, and I I want to change that around, and we'll talk about this later. But this whole idea of sin and rethinking sin and what it is, and you know, Mm -hmm. it 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 has kind of this connotation as these little naughty things that we do. But in essence, whenever we talk about sin, eighty percent of the time that you talk about sin, it's a noun. It's a position. It's where we stand in relationship to God, and it's out of that disconnection where we manifest brokenness. And Mm -hmm. so, whenever you you confess your sins, you're just saying because I've been disconnected from the source of life, here's what my broken life has looked like. And all you're doing is giving voice to what's already there. And, and I think yes. that that's the, that's the opportunity where maybe for the first time that, you know, you've known it's there, but you've never even vocalized it. You've never even put it out there. And so mm-hmm. th- there's, there's some healing that happens just by vocalizing it.
0: Well, I think Brandon, for me, it was the, the, I didn't really feel isolated uh, at that time, but I, I was coming from a church environment where I didn't really feel intimacy, and and so walking in that confession group and, and hearing the transparency of the other men in the room uh, made me feel comfortable sharing also, and in doing so, I think it did break through some of that isolation, the trend, and and the transparency helped build community and bonding that i'd never experienced before
1: well and those were the guys that kind of survived yeah <laughs> because after i confessed all my sins um no one came back the next week <laughs> And so then it was like me talking to people one off Mm -hmm. and and people kind of slowly coming in. And it was that group that was more invested. And so you get this level of vulnerability with the people who are kind of invested in this as brothers, you know, and you have these, these ties that bind you together. And I'll say this because it connects to the book. I mean, there was another time where I kind of experienced this as, um, an observer, I went to a Celebrate Recovery celebration where Mm. they had like the testimonies standing in front of everyone. And I thought, this is church. Mm. I'm like, this is like where it's at. Like, you know, and and I'm not pointing fingers here, but like what you end up with on Sunday mornings can very well end up just a facade where Mm -hmm. you don't get the depth, you don't get the heart and the guts and the, you know, everything that comes with it. And whatever I what I saw at the celebrate recovery um, celebration was people pouring out their guts and like their to to all of us, but talking about it as you know I, I walked through this and I and I made it through to the other side with this group of people here and the bond, the bond yeah. the bond, uh, the the what am I trying to say the bonds yeah. <laughs> that that bound them together were greater than anything I'd ever seen. It's just it was phenomenal.
2: And you know I think from what you're saying that. Uh, the tonight I went to my church and the evening service is very is much more intimate yeah the the morning service is more uh, of a ritual but uh, tonight we we talked about uh, people writers and and speakers who have inspired us and what it is that inspires Mm -hmm. us and the one theme that kept coming up with stories yeah uh you know when you reveal your story as you do in this book as you've done in in other uh your podcasts and your confession group um that's when people are invited into that intimacy right and i think that's commendable
1: yeah it's it's something that our culture needs you know we need more people who are not afraid to be honest and we need more people who are willing to kind of take down that veneer and just share like that, that raw humanity with one another. Because, you know, I think that especially with younger generations, they can see through the BS quickly, Mm -hmm. you know, they have, their BS detectors are, you know, sensitive. And I think that we've, we've so long operated in these environments where it's all about, um, you know, prestige or wearing the right clothing or Mm -hmm. you know we've been through these conversations over the last decade but you know we end up in those environments where you know your hair has to be fixed perfectly and you know if if that's if that's the baseline that we've operated at then certainly we're never going to tell anybody that we have problems and Mm -hmm. and (laughs) <laughs> whenever, whenever you keep, and, and, and we've suffered the repercussions of that deeply, right? Not just individually, but we've suffered relationally. And I would make a case we've suffered communally, you know, mm-hmm. at, at, in, in our larger communities because of it.
0: Brandon, in your book, um, you talk a lot about your house church. And so, like, I, I experienced a men's confession <laughs> group with Brandon. Uh, completely independently, though, he has a very tight couples group.
1: And not not really a couples group. We have some singles in there. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay, so almost, but not quite. Yes.
0: A men and women group. <laughs> and the the stories coming out of that group are amazing. Yeah. Uh, I I just gotta say, people need to read this book.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: You you are so personal. You, you take your heart, and you infuse it with these stories that are just absolutely heartbreaking, but also um, transcendent in a way, by the way the community responds to difficult situations. And knowing you and many of the people in that group, um, somewhat from a distance, um, it's just such a beautiful thing to see.
1: Yeah, it actually... tears me up every every time I think yeah. About
2: it. yeah
1: you know and
2: in various sections as I've read in your book there were points at which you've made um these connections from uh, this this uh paradox of, of beauty and wreckage yeah 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 um and I wonder if you would be willing at this point to share in your introduction the close of your introduction a very personal yeah. Um uh, peace. And if you want to set it up, go ahead.
1: Yeah, so to to go back to Eric's point and then to jump into this and knit them all together. Um the first book that I ever wrote, which was like this Magna Carta, you know, like 75,000 words and you know, I think it was almost for the first time I I almost felt like Isaiah in a sense and not so much Jesus, you know, like Isaiah, like walking around naked, like yelling at people and like, is anybody listening? And, and, uh, you know, it, it was, it, it felt it's, <laughs> it was talking about the kingdom of God and and learning to discover it. But I also felt a little Old Testament in how I was presenting it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it, it but, but also at the same time, that book was way more, informational and trying yeah. to teach, I think. And then my second book was, um, I wrote it in like six weeks. I wrote a chapter a week and it's completely tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really jabbing at kind of the mania around, um, preppers and people looking for the end times. Right. But, but the serious point in it was, is that people get so fixated on the future that they do it to the neglect of our, um, present, pr- present, present, task as followers of christ and it's like trying to drill people back into the reality while making it kind of a funny book and eric's right with this one there's so many stories in it and you know they're not they're not all feel-good stories i mean there's there's stories that terror have torn my heart out you know as we've lived through them and um you know, but there's also been other stories, you know, as I recount over the last decade, I kind of pull back through everything and just all the lessons that I've learned and kind of where all of this has led me to this place of of kind of centering back into that Romans 8 passage where it talks about all of creation is groaning, awaiting liberation from the curse. And there's this tension between the inbreaking reality of the kingdom of God presently in our lives, where there's beauty and freedom and just healing and shalom and all of these great things, but it's also being real that we live in a world that is hurting and divisive and angry and just we're tearing each other apart. And so, you know, the the subtitle to the book is "Finding Peace in the Age of Outrage," and that's really truly what the book is about. Is like, you know, it, if Jesus came to Earth and said. I came that you would have life to the fullest. You know, I'd have to say that we're all pretty cynical about that right now. Like, is that even possible? Mm -hmm. And so that was really my quest of like wrestling through that. If, if life to the fullest is possible, then how do we begin experiencing? And so what hit me really hard as I was wrestling through this topic, because I wrote two of the chapters in 2014. So I wrote them a while back and I sat on them. And then in 2017, we just had horrific, you know, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And we can talk about some of that later, but I started asking the question. I'm like, I don't even know. I don't even know if you can have life to the fullest with this kind of tragedy and suffering and pain and everybody around me is just hurting. And then at the same time, you have this, the cultural, uh, you know, uh, upheaval that's happening. And so, um, you know, th- that, that really got me thinking, like, if there is life to the fullest, then how does that begin to look? And so at the very beginning of the book, and I kind of introduce the topic and where the trajectory of this whole thing is heading. And, and you know, I never shy away from the fact that this book is probably going to create more questions than it's going to answer. It's not a fill in the blank. It's not a five point sermon. It is, it is, a rest, it, it is not shying away from the deep Suffering and pain that we're experiencing at all, and it's not, and and it's not trite in the sense of saying, "Oh, we'll just pray it away and it'll get better," right?
0: And and the fact that what you were experiencing as you were writing, yes, was a huge test of your will, yeah, to really call into question, like, do I really believe this? Because over the course of a few months, you were dealing with total wreckage, yes, and you. You've come through this on the side of beauty, but recognizing that life is also very difficult.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think we're going to get to that in another point. But I'm going to go ahead and read this passage because <clears throat> even though it's a simple story, it, it kind of sets it up and makes a profound point. And it made a profound point to me. So I say, we drove an hour away from our house, and it's talking about myself and at the time, my five year old, maybe I mentioned it, uh, five year old, four year old son. Uh, We drove away from our house, and we ended up at the Hoosier National Forestry in South Central Indiana. This area is beautifully wooded and hilly and perfect for a first-timer. I could tell that Will was excited based on how much he talked during the hour that it took us to drive there. He peppered me with one million four-year-old questions that ranged from what are we going to eat and how we were going to brush our teeth. He was so pumped up. When we pulled into the parking lot, he was already out of the car, standing by the car in wild excitement. He put on his jacket and asked me to help him with his backpack. I helped him, and then I put on my own backpack, and we were off. It was a cool spring evening, not quite sunset, and everything was exploding to life around us. It was absolutely perfect. Will knew it as well. Every 30 seconds for the next hour, and this is no exaggeration, Will kept yelling out, for heaven's sakes, this is so awesome for heaven's sakes. This is so awesome. And, and I'm not kidding. He, he just kept doing it. And I mean, I just kind of shook my head, you know, he just kept doing it and I just smiled and it, it may have been one of the greatest moments of my life. Um, sure. I was glad that Will was off to a great start, but it was so much more than that in Will I saw who I longed to be as an adult. Even though we were walking through thick mud and miles of thorn bushes that lined the trails, he just kept shouting how awesome his experience was. Will was unknowingly showing me how far I've traveled from the mystery and wonder of this life. And while I was preoccupied with mud and thorn bushes, Will was preoccupied with wonder and the joyful exuberance of a child. Oh you know, I just remember because I mean my boots were just caked with mud and, and I my arm I had a cut and the blood was just running off and I'm like looking at my boots, blood and Will's like, for heaven's <laughs> sake <laughs> I thought, man, this is what a what a metaphor.
2: So this really begs the question, you know, how do we maintain that childlike wonder, the beauty of that while we carry in us the blood uh from burrs and and you know how does an adult do that in wreckage
1: oh well that's the whole point of the book i guess (laughs) so everybody's gonna have to read it and find out (laughs) no i mean it's you know every single person who's listening to this knows their particular situation and the road that they've traveled and you know whether it's someone who's experiencing stage four breast cancer, or you're the spouse of someone experiencing cancer and going to treatment, or your your spouse is uh, suffering from Alzheimer's, or maybe you have bipolar, or maybe you've lost a loved one, or a friend, or a brother, or a sister, or maybe you suffer from excruciating, um, you know, chronic body pain, or and the list goes on and on. Maybe you're born in the inner city, and all you know that everything around you is ab- verbal abuse or physical abuse or drug addiction, and, and it's right. like all of these things through our, throughout our entire lives can completely crush that childlike exuberance. And I and and I don't think that it's a stretch to say that we can very easily forget it. And and some people may say, well you know, you're being very trite because the suffering that we are experiencing as humanity and my own personal experience, you know, I've been through whatever, and you're just making it sound like that. Well, if we just think about how a child experiences this life and just think, and that that makes it too simple. And it's like, well, you know, to a certain extent, I suppose that that could be a, a very cynical way of looking at it. But at the same time, There is a a freedom and a joy and a love and a peace that can transcend circumstance, that can transcend condition. And, you know, the only way that you could ever speak that is to have to have experienced it or to been around people who have experienced it, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think about, you know, not, not to give too much away, but I mean, one of the major stories in this book is that in um, last year, um, one of the families in our house church, their 15 year old son was killed in a horrific um, accident, freak accident. And, you know, our whole house church runs up to Indianapolis, and w- we didn't show up thinking that he died, mm-hmm. and we didn't you know, we're kind of standing there and no one knew what happened. No one knew what the accident was. And then all of a sudden the doctors come out and start to take us into a room. And I remember kind of pulling our group back saying, you know, let the family go in. And then one of the parents came out and she's like, your, your family, get in here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I didn't expect to walk into that room and to hear those words that a boy that we've known for a decade, you know, since he was five years old died and to be with his parents in that moment and like you, you can't relativize pain. You can't relativize suffering. I understand that people have horrific, you know, in this, mm-hmm. is this the Holocaust? Of course not. It doesn't minimize the deep well of pain and suffering at that moment in what we've carried with us. And so mm-hmm. the, the point <clears throat> is that, you know, the very next day, you know, amid, the deep excruciating pain and everybody's showing up to their house. You know, all the, all of his friends start showing up, except the two boys who were with him during the accident. And his mom and dad said, tell the boys that they're welcome here. And, you know, even though that they had been involved with the accident and um, they were kind of nervous and afraid to be around, mm-hmm. they came. And at that moment there was just embrace of, forgiveness and love and tears and it's like the forgiveness of that moment was something if you want to talk about profound pain and wreckage there it was if you want to talk about beauty in the wreckage there it was because there was something supernatural there was something transcendent happening at that moment with people who had deep, deep pain, who who had the ability to love despite the pain, who had an ability to forgive when, yeah. when it would have been easier to hate. And, you know, <laughs> the, the answers in this book are not trite. It's not, you know, well, if you just follow these five steps, then your life will be good and happy and forget all the pain. It's not about that. The point of the book is that when Jesus said that he came to give us life to the full, he's talking about something that there's a deeper well of God's goodness that we can tap into that we can experience in that moment, which I coin as the word shalom. Mm -hmm. Um, Meaning, you know,
0: just a point there. Shalom is the key word that is the, Common thread, throughout, common
1: thread throughout the book. Yeah, Absolutely. because what what we're talking about when we talk about shalom is something that goes beyond just the greeting that people would give each other or just the quick um, translation into English of being peace. Mm-hmm. It, it actually means a deeper... Um, Uh, harmony, completeness, wholeness in oneself that then is manifested through their lives into their relationships and into community. And it actually is not a passive presence. It's actually an active force in the world, which, you know, and that's the other part of it is as you get to the end of the book, people could look at it and say, well, that's all well and good that you experience shalom and you have that with your friends, but what about the deep problems that we have in our world? And it's like, no, shalom's not passive. Whenever you're experiencing this, this transcendent, um, divine love, it's something that you can't contain. It's something that has to move out and it pushes against the forces. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I meant
0: it's unconditional.
1: It, it absolutely is. Yeah. Right. When I, mean, I mentioned
0: unconditional love and it's almost a cliche and you look for it and you never quite know if that's what it is. But that moment when, um, Abbott's parents encounter the boys who were in the accident with him That's where you see unconditional love, yeah, and that acceptance and that embrace of that situation. I mean, there there is no other way of explaining what what
1: could have been complete darkness Mm -hmm. started out as this profound moment of light breaking in that had ripples. Did that did that take away the pain? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: No. Did, did Did that set the tone for how an entire group of people looked at the situation? And how people received it and how people came together and love. And it's like, that's just one story in the book, but it's like, you know, whenever we think about the massive problems that we're having as a country, you know, and people are saying, you know, we're, we're at each other's throats and ready to kill each other. You know, people are saying, where's the, where's the answers? You know, and that and that's why I think that a book like this is so important is because it really takes those deep issues that I think that we're all kind of, you know, we get on social media and we're like, oh, I don't know if I can deal with this anymore. And it's like, how do you pull back from that and actually find something that transcends all of it? That's just one example in the book. Yep. Yeah,
0: <clears throat> Brandon, to, to specifically address healing, uh, I'd like to you know prompt our, our key question. What does healing mean to you? <laughs>
1: Yeah. I just go back to what the, uh, centurion said, mm-hmm. cause it, 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 let me preface it. I mean, I do want to say this cause I wrote it in a bonus chapter, which didn't quite make the cut, uh, for the book because I missed the deadline for this. I wrote another chapter and I'm like, well, that's going to be a bonus chapter. But in, in the bonus chapter, I said, um, it, what I was writing about does not mean that a person should not seek medical, mental, emotional counsel or treatment. God can work through us even when we seek treatment from physical, mental, emotional illness and and doing so does not make us less faithful or less trusting in the power of God. Conversely, denying yourself, medical, mental or emotional support does not make you more faithful or more trusting in the power of God. It makes you foolish. So Right there, I just want to say up front that it, I, I'm not in any sense saying, if you have enough faith, you're going to be healed. Because I've prayed my whole life you know, for the last 20 years of my chronic body pain, and God has not healed me. Mm-hmm. So, But maybe that's not even the point. So whenever I talk about um, healing, I actually really, truly mean, um, like the centurion, I believe that that Christ can heal us um, deeply, like heart, mind, body, and soul, but that's not to the neglect of treatment. Mm-hmm. Because I think that,
0: yeah, I, I think with healing, it's so often a very personal thing. Have I been healed? But I, I feel like <clears throat> the, the healing of Christ is the healing of community. It, it's the healing between you and me. Yeah, it's the healing between us, and I, I think we miss that when we're so centered on our own experience, the physical pain, the emotional pain.
2: Yeah. I want yeah. <clears> to <throat> I want to touch a little bit on an aside you almost slipped in there which is about your chronic body pain. I mean, you you say you've <clears throat> you've prayed for relief for years and uh, I I immediately t- took the scripture passage about Paul, and the thorn of, of, in his flesh. Yep. And I'd I'd like you to, if you would, just share a little your spiritual journey with that. Yeah.
1: Um, I, I didn't think that I was going to have tw- almost 20 years of chronic body pain. Um, I'm a really super healthy guy. <laughs> and I went to the doctor a couple of months ago to actually talk about this because I've really never officially sought medical advice on it. I've tried a million different things, but the doctor's like, you shouldn't be feeling this way. You, you, you backpack a ton. I eat really healthy. So I shouldn't be feeling this way. But the crazy thing is, is that whenever I started writing this bonus chapter, um, it, (laughs) I wrote it when I was feeling the worst I have for the last 20 years. I have been feeling really bad lately. And I told my wife, I said, I'm not sure if I can live another 20 years. Like I have the last 20, especially the last couple of months, but in the bonus chapter, and I'll tell you, cause this kind of alludes just my thought process on this whole thing. You know, I, I think that a lot of times we in, in, immediately go toward, especially faith communities, immediately go toward we need to pray over you and we believe that God can heal you and that somehow, if, and we have, have had this experience before, if, if God doesn't heal you, then somehow you, you don't have enough faith or, you know, there's some, there's always an out, right? And I'm not saying that God can't heal someone, but I'm saying, it's not been my experience that God always heals people because God does not. And God has not answered my prayers. And I've had people lay hands on me. I've had people anoint me with oil. I've had a really good friend of mine, like bear hug me and just pray over me with like tears and I'm not healed. And so it really begs the question of maybe we've had this thing all wrong. So if we've had it wrong, then really, what is it? And and I go on this kind of litany throughout this bonus chapter of saying, you know, think about all the times that everything is completely opposite from the way, the way you would expect it throughout, throughout the Bible, but especially throughout the Gospels.
0: This is um, titled, End Destination or Transformative Passageway. Yeah. You write, living constantly in the pain of our suffering can either become an end destination or a passageway for each of us. I think that really gets to the heart of healing. Yeah, yeah. You know, healing, you've, you've come to that end in, in some ways. You've you reached the destination of pain. And the question is, what, what is the passageway? Yeah. And, and you're addressing that in your book.
1: So, I mean, think about it, just you guys. I mean, how many people in your lives do you know that have experienced profound pain and suffering who have chosen it as an end destination? I mean, have you, can you guys think of people that you know who have had that experience?
2: Uh, yes. <clears throat> Absolutely.
1: And, and I think that wh- whenever I started thinking about it, it's like there's no judgment there for people who get to that place, which I call the valley of the shadow of death. It's like mm-hmm. you're at the bottom of the valley and it's like it's dark and sometimes it feels incredibly alone. And you wonder um, it, if you can take another step. And so there's no there's no judgment. There's no condemnation because you know, we all have this, th- these varied experiences where we've been to that place. And I, I think, you know, my appeal in that chapter especially is that we we can't stay alone in the valley of the shadow of death. You know, if we're going to, if we're going cl- to take steps forward in this valley to begin to ascent uh, this mountain, it has to be together, you know, and and that's what I, I remember this one line that I wrote in that chapter. It says, um, we we carry each other upward and over the mountain, brother, over the yeah. uh, over the mountain, sister. It's like this kind of appeal to saying it has to be done communally, and, and you cannot stand in this place. And because that that's what I think is like ultimately, if, if we end up in those places where we choose our pain and suffering as an end destination, uh, it, it is a place of isolation. Yeah. And so you know, the the places where I've seen the greatest um, transformation. You know, rather than an end destination, but pain and suffering used as a place of transformation has been in community. It has been sitting at confession group where, you know, you're opening those places up and you have people like pouring words of life and love and non judgment and and there's something that's happening and and right. it, sometimes it's inexplicable. But it, one one thing that just popped in my head is uh, Richard Rohr who I love says that the two greatest teachers are great love and suffering. And I think it's hard whenever you're at the Valley in the Valley of the shadow of death to look at your suffering as a teacher, you'd rather give it the finger. I think, you know, because, but you know, I mean, but part of it is like, you, you, you can either take that. We like we can either take that posture at the Valley of the shadow of death as an act of us giving in or it can be an act of rebellion where we actually give it the finger and say, we are, we choose not to stand here alone. We choose not to let this place, you know, bring us down and isolate us and take us to this place of death and whatever. You know, I think that it can actually be a place where we move forward and, and, and actually look at the suffering and say, I know that it hurt. And we can even, hold on to that suffering and we can carry it and, yeah. and we can say, you know, um, I can hold it and I can look at it and I can let it teach me w- how to grow at greater depths.
2: You know, you used the word there that is so key for the people who listen to our program and people who struggle with mental illness and that is isolation. Yeah. And as you say, when we allow suffering to, prompt us to isolate, then the, the, the darkness wins. And I think of your book, I think of the Apostle Paul's letters and, you know, people that celebrate recovery. I mean, what they're doing is bringing their story of suffering to the community, as you say. And, it, and, it, and as Paul writes in the Thorn of the Flesh passage, you know, it's for the glory of God. Yeah. You know, it's the, the the prayer for healing wasn't answered, but it was all for the glory of God.
1: <clears throat> yeah. And I think that that's, you know, <laughs> again, I, I, I absolutely want to make sure that I am not minimizing anyone's pain because it's like the whole point of this is saying we're standing in solidarity with one another in this place. And there are not easy answers here. But the one thing that is absolutely certain is that, and I do believe this, and I wish I could read that passage or that section out of that chapter, but God always takes the things that we view as not valuable, those things that we view as, you know, the least likely things and uses those for profound glory, You know, it's the anti-hero stories of like the Samaritan and the prostitutes. And it's the least likely characters where God just demonstrates the kingdom of God. It's, you know, it's not the treasure that's found in a castle. It's the, it's the treasure that's found in a desolate field. It doesn't make any sense. You're like, okay, so it, it never makes sense. And, and I think that that's what I kind of connect with, with our pain and suffering is that, it's what the world would never choose to show the glory of God through, you know? And and I don't think it's one of those things where it's like God's going to give you pain so then you can give God glory. That's not it at all. God doesn't cause the pain. God isn't judging you or condemning you or whatever. We, the, the world is broken. It's fractured. It's divided. And, and it's suffering under the curse of sin and death and, and it is what it is. But I do believe that in the midst of that, while we are, um, suffering, I think that we can learn from it. I could, I think we can be transformed by it, but I also think that, um, there's something transcendent that people can see by the, the, peace that we live through it, you know, that, that does give glory to God. Oh,
0: we're <laughs> at 45 minutes. If you can believe that I can't, this has been a really great conversation, Brandon. Yeah. And, and thank you for being here. Um, Beauty in the Wreckage, Yes, October
2: the 9th. <laughs>
1: October nine, Mark that on your calendars. Where can they find this? <clears throat> um, everywhere online. Um, and if you live locally in Columbus down at Viewpoint, which would be huge to go there. Yes. Uh, but yeah, just uh, buy it. Send me a note. Let me know. And I'll send you that bonus chapter that we couldn't quite access.
0: Brandon, thank you. Yeah. Thank thanks,
1: you, guys. You me. guys are kind. And thanks for letting me come in and talk about it.
0: We may have you back here again. <laughs> We barely got into my, anything, my did we? neighbor. <laughs> okay. your, for your next
1: book. <laughs> uh, thank you, guys. Yeah. Tony, our show has come to a close.
0: Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review.
2: Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices.
0: Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com.
1: If people buy the book they they can email me and they get the bonus chapter for free and I promise that like this part that we're not going to do is super epic. Yes. So <laughs> so it's really important